Hello and thank you for logging on to the Memory Gauge, your new favourite Digimon card game podcast. I'm your host Connor and today's episode is going to be a bit of a grab bag of various small topics that might not otherwise warrant a full episode and we'll explain that in just a bit but before we get to that though we have some announcements and first it is time to check in on the state of the meta. We have a big new chunk of metadata to take a look at this week, which is, of course, the results of each region's Ultimate Cup. Now, these results seem to cement what we already thought, which is that Blue Hybrid is the best deck in the format. Blue Hybrid decks won both North America events and the Oceania event, and in the top eight of each event, Blue Hybrid featured very heavily Part of that is no doubt due to the hype around the deck, which had a lot of players, often very good and obviously the best players, electing to play the deck, but its ability to control the board and its speed just made it so powerful in these events. So it was able to consistently not only do well, obviously, but win. Now, we did also see Yellow Hybrid represented among the top eight winning lists, although not as often as Blue, as well as Purple decks, and a couple of rogue lists, including a Diaboramon deck, weirdly. But as we head into the end of the BT7 meta, the writing on the wall seems clear. Once again, blue is the dominant colour. Finally, the release of BT8 New Awakening is coming up. It's so close, I can taste it. It's a little bit sooner here in Oceania than Europe and in North America, but still... Uh, That means, once again, it is time to celebrate the release of the new set with a box opening stream. So at 8pm on Friday, May 13th, EST, which is 10am on Saturday, May 14th, here in AEST, I will be going live at twitch.tv slash EFMG and opening up a booster box of the new set. As usual, one lucky viewer will receive the contents of a randomly selected booster pack that I open live on stream. It's bound to be a great time. We're going to check out the new cards. We're going to chase that sweet Imperial Dramon Paladin Mode alt art, And we are going to talk about everything Digimon. So tune in to twitch.tv slash EFMG at 8pm on Friday the 13th EST, which is 10am on Saturday, May 14th AEST. I hope to see you all there. And now for the main chunk of our episode. So this week we are going to be doing something a little bit different than the usual. While usually we dedicate a whole episode to a single topic, this week we're going to be covering a few smaller topics. Not every topic that I think is worth covering can be fully stretched to fill a whole episode length by itself, even with the notoriously variable length of episodes of this podcast. So today we're going to be covering three different small topics. Firstly, I will be giving a short report around my personal experience in this past weekend's Oceania Ultimate Cup run by TAC Games. Then we're going to talk about Vanilla Digimon and the place that they have in the game today. And then finally, we're going to talk quickly about the Mulligan rule as it happened in online play and whether or not it should move to the full game. Now, if you enjoy this format of episode, please let me know through Twitter, Facebook, and our Discord. Links to all of that are going to be in the show notes. I would love to hear what you think about this format of episode because that will determine whether or not I do it in the future. Now with the setup out of the way, let's get 
to our first main topic. Like many of you listeners, I participated in my region's Ultimate Cup online tournament this past weekend. From my experience, the Oceania event was really well run. It was populated with great players. I was all ready to put my advice from last week's Dealing with Sore Losers episode into practice, but I never had to. Everybody was lovely. But before we get to my event, I just wanted to extend my commiserations to all of those who got dropped from the North America Carta Magica event. And for listeners who don't know what happened, Carta Magica, who was running one of the North America Ultimate Cup events, they sold ahead of time far more tickets than there actually were feasible spots in the event. There were meant to be 500 or something spots. They sold a 1,000 or so tickets. So just before they the event, they revealed that nearly half of the players who had bought tickets ahead of time still wouldn't be able to play in the event. They got dropped. So players had prepared decks. They'd set aside the honestly large amount of time necessary the whole day to play in the event. And they'd play-tested, they'd gotten ready, they were excited. So to call this disappointing to those drop players would be a massive understatement. Now, by the time of this recording, very nearly everything that could be said about that event has been said. But I just wanted to address it and go on record as saying that I think that event was tragically mishandled. And Bandai needs to ensure that their tournament organisers are doing so, so much better moving forward if our game is any hope of growing and evolving. I can't imagine what it would be like is somebody playing in their first event and then they don't even get to play. They get dropped because of mismanagement. So tournament organizers need to do better. Fortunately, however, the Oceania event was not oversold. So I got to play this past weekend and I had a long dark night of the soul leading up to it, deciding what deck to play between green red hybrid, as I had shown off on this show. And as I've often said, I think is one of the better decks of the format and yellow hybrid. Ultimately, I chose to play my yellow hybrid deck for a number of reasons. Firstly, I knew going in that blue hybrid is going to be a large presence. And so I guessed that of the two decks I was choosing between, yellow was going to have just a better matchup against blue. Secondly, ahead of the event, I was a bit short of time. And my yellow hybrid deck was a lot closer to tournament ready than my red-green ancient beetlemon deck. So it would take a lot less time to swap out the cards I needed to make it tournament ready. And then finally, I've just played more of my yellow hybrid deck than I have of my red-green hybrid deck. So I felt much more confident piloting that deck. And I wanted to choose a deck that I was confident in because I'd have to play it for a while. And it was going out to a party the night before, so I knew I was going to be a bit tired. In retrospect, with the matchups that I played on the day, I think the red-green deck would have fared better. But of course, there was no way to know going in what matchups I was going to have. And if I had won more games, I would have had different matchups. So ultimately, I think I made the right decision for myself. Now, if you're interested in seeing the exact list that I played, I will post a link to the deck list in the show notes of this episode. But the list itself is pretty standard for the deck. It's very similar to a lot of other people's lists. It's got a purple base, four Shaomon as the Digi-Eggs, four Gazimon rookies to control my opponent's memory gain, some Schwartz Lazats, some purple Karis. I played a standard yellow hybrid package of four each of the available yellow hybrid Digimon. I played two Rise Greymon yellow level fives to get extra tamers out and to get extra damage on board if I was able to get access to that extra security check from the inheritable. And then my level six package consisted of two shine Greymon, which was great removal and it could attack over larger Digimon very easily. 
to Seraphimon from BT1, which gave me extra recovery and extra damage, and it only cost three to Digivolve into, so I could frequently Digivolve into it and keep hold of the turn and really put pressure on my opponent. And then two promo Seraphimon from the most recent set, which was again for the extra recovery. I think the choice I made that I was the most proud of was including the BT1 Seraphimon because with that extra recovery, I was frequently hitting seven or eight security cards, which made it very difficult for my opponents to beat me before I chipped their security down and beat them. Plus, although it only has 10,000 DP, Seraphimon has security attack plus one when you've got three or more security cards, and I kind of guessed correctly as it turned out that because the meta was so hybrid heavy, more often than not, my opponent's security was going to be loaded with Tamers and Digimon with fewer than 10,000 DP. So Seraphimon could frequently attack for two checks and survive. It was pretty consistent and it put a lot of pressure onto my opponents, which is exactly what I wanted. The event went for a total of seven rounds. And now that you know the makeup of my deck, I would like to give a quick summary of each of my matches, how it went, and what I think I could have done better. My first round was a mirror match against an almost identical yellow hybrid deck, and we ran out of time, we finished at a draw. Uh, the yellow matchup is very often going to go to time because there's so much recovery, and getting two wins in the allotted time is very difficult. My opponent piloted their deck very well, and although I would have liked to start with a win, obviously, I felt like watching them pilot their deck, I learned a lot through that match, and it helped me across the day. In round two, I played against a Jessmon deck that was built in a way that I had no experience with. No one in my locals has built this deck. I haven't played against this deck before, so it was weird. It was a black and blue base. It had jamming Vmon to chip in for quick damage, and then it would hard play level fives to get to Jessmon, and then eventually Ragnar Lordmon. But ultimately, they weren't able to get through all of my recovery. I think they were a little bit too spread across different strategies, and I took the win 2-0. But it was a really cool deck to see, and the player was a really cool person as well. Round 3 turned out to be the only time on the day that I actually played against Blue Hybrid after worrying about how I was going to beat it so much. It went to 3 games. Ultimately, I lost the match. I took game 1, but then in game 2, I chose to keep a hand that probably, because the mulligan rule was in effect, I should have used a mulligan and gotten rid of it. I really suffered for keeping the hand. I don't know why I kept it. it there was a lot of pressure. I made a mistake. Uh, it was a harsh lesson, but... I took that lesson forward with me for the rest of the day, so ultimately I felt good about how I played because I went to three games against the best deck in the format, even though I ended up losing. Round four was against a tricky purple deck that seemed focused on looping and repeatedly getting Lucemon Chaos Mode back from trash to delete my stuff. Although my opponent was able to keep my board fairly clear of Digimon with that, they couldn't keep up with recovery effects again, and I was able to get the win 2-0. I find that so many of the decks in BT7 format kind of want to play a bit of a faster game, and by forcing them to slow down with this yellow-purple hybrid strategy by using your recovery to get to an absurd amount of security or just keeping the board clear with Schwarz-Lazatz, it really puts them at a disadvantage, so I was really feeling good about the deck choice at this point. Round 5 was against a more focused Lilithmon loop purple deck, and I mentioned on Twitter at the time that I thought playing two different purple decks back to back actually threw me off and probably contributed to my loss here. I definitely made some errors early on in the matchup because I was still playing around the prior deck. I didn't realize 
immediately that this was a different deck and I didn't make the shift to actually playing around the deck that was in front of me until it was too late. I fared better in game two because I was actually playing around the deck in front of me, playing more aggressively, putting them on a clock, but ultimately the player was too good, they knew their deck too well and they just played better than I did and I'm not ashamed to admit that. Full props to them for piloting a difficult deck that well through such a long tournament. I would not have the mental capacity to pilot Lilith Monloop for more than like three matches. Round 6 I played against Machine Dramon and this was a really difficult matchup. The player told me afterwards the reason they chose Machine Dramon was specifically to play around Yellow Hybrid because they knew there'd be a lot of it so I had my work cut out for me. And ultimately went, we went to a draw at time but I think that if we'd had just 5 more minutes the Machine Dramon player probably would have taken the win. They piloted the deck very well they just weren't able to beat me in the time available. That was probably my closest match of the day and it was just a lot of fun. And then round seven turned out to be the final round. We thought there would be eight, but ultimately we came to an undefeated in round seven. And I played against a purple hybrid deck with a yellow base, which kind of was amusing because it was the inverse colors of my own deck, which was yellow hybrid, purple base. This match also came down to a draw. Again, it was very close. I think that I would have given a bit that... I would have won if I was given a bit more time, but I can't be sure because we both had plenty of outs to play with. They were talking me through it and they were showing me all the things they could have done. So ultimately, I think it could have gone to either one of us. And it was a really fun match against a really good player and just a great way to close out the day. So with that, I ended the day uh, with two wins, two losses and three draws, which wasn't the wasn't the best result in the world, but it did place me at 104th overall, which qualified me for a Vimon alternate art prize card, which was my goal going into the day. So I am very pleased. I thought the deck worked really well. I kind of really enjoyed the variety of my matchups because it showed that Yellow Hybrid is able to pivot well into different kinds of strategies depending on what you were playing against. I was able to be more aggressive when I needed to be. I was able to be more defensive when I needed to be. So it was... A really technical day, gameplay-wise, especially compared to my usual red deck smash kind of strategy that I usually favor. And I felt really good about myself as a player by the end. I have plenty of room to grow, but I also felt that I demonstrated to myself that I have the capacity for that growth. And before we close out this first section of the episode, I wanted to address an attitude that I've seen expressed by a few players in the wake of the Ultimate Cup. I was browsing some of the Digimon social groups, and I saw players talking about their personal Ultimate Cup results, and one player said they made top 64, and they were super pleased with themselves and their deck, and then another player replied to that, saying, imagine being proud of top 64, I would keep that to myself. So they just completely undercut that player's excitement and pride, and I just wanted to take a second now to say that firstly, I think that kind of attitude is disgusting and it has no place in our community because we should be trying to build each other up and secondly i wanted to address you the listener and say that in any given event in any given endeavor hell whether it's digimon or work or another hobby whatever it is you can be proud of yourself at any level of achievement i went into this tournament with the goal of making top 128 which is you know in not cracking top eight but i achieved that goal and i am proud of it I'm not ashamed of it. So don't submit to this idea that you have to be topping events or you're a failure. Why are you even playing the game? Because this is a game. It's a hobby. And there are all levels of skills and participation in our hobby, in our game. You and you alone know your goals, your skill level, and your markers for success. And if you reach them, no matter what they are, you should be proud. And I hope you're going to carry that going forward. 
Moving on to our next mini topic, I had my inspiration sparked this week when I saw an online discussion about vanilla Digimon and the pl- the place that they had in the game today. I was struggling to think about how to stretch that to a full episode, but the grab bag is a perfect place to talk about it. Now, for those who don't know the terminology, vanilla Digimon are Digimon without any effects. No main effects, no inheritable effects, just the Digimon. Given how important effects can be to a deck and how many we have available now, it can be hard to see why you would ever want to play a Digimon that has no effect, no effect on the game other than just its stats. But I think that even now, seven sets in, vanilla Digimon do have a place in the game. One thing that I like about Digimon as a card game is that there doesn't tend to be strictly better cards. And when I say strictly better, I mean there's no cards that absolutely outclass other cards. Even cards with similar effects or stats tend to have slightly different costs, slightly different DP. They're not just the same card, but with an effect. So there's always a reason, however slim, to play one card over another. This manifests in vanilla Digimon in particular in a pretty obvious way, because vanilla Digimon tend to have an advantage over non-vanilla Digimon in one or two ways. First, vanilla Digimon tend to be much cheaper than their counterparts with effects. Dark Tyranimon BT1 was my favourite red card for a long time in 1.0, even though it's vanilla, because it was a level 4 that could digivolve for just one memory, and that made it so much cheaper than any other level 4 available, and it guaranteed that you could digivolve from level 3 to level 5 in a single turn, which was huge speed at that point. Vanilla level 5s and 6s tend to cost just 2 memory to digivolve into. If you remember back in the 1.0 meta, Blue Omnimon was a 1.0 deck that made the most of vanilla Digimon that were very cheap to digivolve in just 1 or 2 turns up into level 7 Omnimon, which can then do huge amounts of damage to the opponent's board. It was the win condition. Secondly, in terms of raw DP, vanilla Digimon tend to be more powerful than their counterparts with effects. Going back to BT1, Metal Tyranimon was a red level 5, it costs 3 to Digivolve into, but it has 10,000 DP, which is the most, well, tied with other Digimon of the same stat line in different colours, but it's the most powerful level 5 that we have in terms of raw DP. So if you're looking for raw power, vanilla Digimon are almost always going to win out over Digimon with effects. In the early days of the game, when the card pool wasn't as diverse, we had just one or two sets, vanilla Digimon were very useful either as cheap Digivolutions to get your to your win condition Digimon quicker, or just to overpower your opponent's Digimon, but they've fallen out of favour recently because decks have become much more focused, so there just isn't room for a Digimon that doesn't have an effect that furthers your game plan. Additionally, the ability to digivolve straight to a higher level and then skip the intervening levels with things like your bonds, bonds of friendship, bond of courage, memory gamers like Pokemon mean that cheap digivolution is no longer as powerful and sought after as it has been in the past. So with all that said, is there a place for vanilla Digimon in the future of the game? I think so. It's not outside the realm of possibility, firstly, that Bandai goes the same route as some other games and designs cards and effects which reward you for playing Digimon with no effects. We've seen this in Yu-Gi-Oh! And in that game, vanilla or normal monsters is a legitimate archetype and very cool to play with. 
The other place that we're going to continue to see vanilla Digimon flourish, of course, is in the sealed and draft formats. In that limited environment where you can't guarantee you're going to have access to enough cards from a given archetype to make that archetype work, generic Digimon with aggressively costed stats, so they're cheap Digivolves and high DP, they're always going to have a place because they're so useful for either attacking over your opponent's Digimon, removal, or getting to your win condition quickly. So no, vanilla Digimon aren't necessarily competitively viable anymore, but that doesn't mean that they never will be again. And for those of us who regularly play Sealed and Draft, they're always going to be welcome in the game. Now, our final topic of discussion today is the mulligan rule. With the conclusion of the Ultimate Cup, we've now had multiple major events that made use of the mulligan rule. So, now that we've had plenty of experience in using it, does it work for the game? Should Digimon adopt the mulligan rule for all future events? For those who don't know, the official mulligan rule for Digimon is only used in some events at the moment, and the rule works as follows. After you place your security and you draw your starting hand, you can elect to place that entire hand, all five cards, on the bottom of your deck and then draw a new starting hand of five cards. You can only do this one time, so that new starting hand you just picked up, that's the hand you're stuck with for the game. Hope it's a good one. Personally, I found the mulligan to be very useful, but not game-breaking. Across the seven rounds of the Ultimate Cup that I played, I rarely felt that I had an unusable or game-losing opening hand because of the mulligan. The option to ditch an opening hand with, for example, no rookies, or in this hybrid meta, no tamers, meant that you had another five chances to draw an opening play of some kind, and then even if you still don't draw well, you know that you've seen that much more of your deck, and so the odds of drawing a card that you can use become that much more likely on subsequent turns. Now, there's been some worry about mulligans kind of breaking the game and making it too powerful to play combo decks like Lilith Loop because you get another chance at opening up a hand with combo potential. You just, just dig for your combo pieces. But since you can only mulligan once, I didn't really feel like those decks had an unfair advantage. Overall, I think the mulligan is a great addition to the game. I liked it and I hope that it moves to the main rule set. And everyone I spoke to on the day said that they enjoyed the mulligan and it seemed to receive a lot of positive feedback across the event, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Bondi adapt the mulligan rule full-time in the future. And with that, we reach the end of our first grab bag episode. I hope you enjoyed the change of pace. If you liked this format, please reach out and let me know so that I know to continue doing it in future. Alright, you've heard enough from me, now I would like to hear from you. Our listener question of the week, as we approach BT8, it's a good time to reflect on the successes and failures of BT7 Next Adventure. So, what did you think of the BT7 format? Was Blue Hybrid too dominant? Were all the decks too similar? Or did you enjoy the change in focus from previous sets to tamer-heavy strategies and the way that old cards like Seraphimon BT1 suddenly became relevant again? What did you think of BT7? If you have an answer to our listener question, or if you have any questions, comments, feedback, or concerns, you can email me, memorygagepodcast at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, Memory Gauge Podcast. You can tweet at me at ConnorEFMG, or you can join our Discord server. Links to all of that will be in the show notes of this episode. I am always happy to hear from you listeners. New episodes of this show come out each and every week, so make sure you're following the Memory Gauge podcast on your podcast service of choice so that you don't miss an episode. And if your podcast service of choice does allow you to rate and review the show, please consider doing so because it helps 
interested people find our show and really helps to build us up. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Memory Gauge, logging out. Music